welcome. This is the Dating Counselor Podcast, the show that takes you out of the dating game and into a successful relationship. I'm Lonnie Harmon, and I'm a licensed therapist, and I am the Dating Counselor. Thanks for listening. Hello. Thank you so much for being here with me today. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you about relationship anxiety and recognize the sensitivity with which to handle this information because it's a delicate topic. Oftentimes what leads people to even do a Google search or search a podcast uh, episodes for relationship anxiety is because they're asking themselves that golden question of, is it anxiety or am I with the wrong person? And that is the question that can haunt you, leave you up at night and either make you leave a relationship too soon or maybe make you stay longer than you had anticipated. And it's in this delicate light that I'd like to teach a little bit about how to know if you have it and give you some practical tips about what to do. I also want to share with you a little bit about dating anxiety which is a form of relationship anxiety, in which case the anxiety is about dating, whether it's about the person that you are going on dates with, or potentially the idea of getting into a relationship. So what does it take to create a successful relationship? Well, that is the question that I am out to answer in teaching you my new class, The Relationship Screening Method. Go over to thedatingcounselor.com, click under courses, and learn more about this new course that I'm offering on a virtual platform that also comes with weekly live coaching sessions with yours truly. So that's again, go to thedatingcounselor.com, look under courses, and look up the relationship screening method so that you can actually apply the method to then begin creating your successful relationship. So as we work through the discovery of what relationship anxiety is and how it manifests itself inside of either dating or inside of an actual exclusive relationship, the most important point being, is this me or is this the wrong person? So that's what we're going to explore today. And I hope that by the end of this, you'll be able to feel more confident and determining what the answer is for you. The other important piece of information here is part of my podcast is going to be being vulnerable with you and sharing some of my very own stories of suffering with relationship anxiety. And I'll share with you the experiences that I had when they did not go well, (laughs) I did not succeed. And I, throughout this podcast journey as well, you'll hear stories about when it did go well and eventually what led me to being in a happy and healthy relationship and being married to my sweet husband now for 10 years. I appreciate you coming with me today and I hope that this episode specifically um, at least finds a place in your heart where you feel heard and understood. Relationship anxiety is a form of anxiety where the relationship, the progress of the relationship or being in a relationship creates anxiety. Anxiety is an experience where our body is telling us something doesn't feel right. We are uncomfortable. And the 
those symptoms can be manifested usually with physical symptoms. Maybe your chest gets tight, you get tense muscles, maybe you're uh, ruminating, meaning you're thinking something over and over again. Those are symptoms of anxiety. And what our bodies are really telling us is that we're uncomfortable. And when you experience discomfort, especially if it's significant enough that it's going to prevent you from being able to do your job, maybe go to school, attend to things that help your daily life and functioning, then you want to stop that discomfort. And so if the relationship is what's making you feel uncomfortable, or the idea of a relationship is making you feel uncomfortable, then you stop and you say, no, I'm not going to expose myself to that discomfort. And so that relationship is going to be over. This can really mess us up, right? Because if the goal here is to have a life partner, which many people have, and anxiety gets in the way of it, those are two pieces that are just going to keep opposing each other. And sometimes we look at that as saying, well, I just need to find the right partner. And while that may be true, the answer could also be, I need to work on managing my anxiety and understand if it's me that's preventing the relationship from moving forward or if I'm truly with the wrong partner. So when you're decoding what the answer is to that question, um, you can suffer and you can fear that you'll never move forward beyond that single stage of life. This thought can actually interfere with the solution to the situation, which is to listen to your intuition and make the best choice for you, given the information that you have at the time. Listening to our intuition is part of our internal experience throughout life that can get disrupted when we have cultural pressures that can overtake our thinking, or when we have maybe other voices or people around us saying what we should or shouldn't do. And when we look to other people to make choices for us, then that robs us of our own intuition and our ability to know in our heart what we want and what is good for us. That's another helpful piece of information is, is this relationship good for me? Is it helping me to grow into my best self? Am I becoming the type of person that I know I'm capable of that is bringing the peace of light to the world that I would like to share Or is this relationship something that I feel kind of status quo, kind of blah in? Or worst case, is this relationship something that is bringing out in me a person that I don't enjoy and somebody that I don't want to be? The roots of relationship anxiety really look similar to the roots of anxiety. And sometimes the roots of anxiety occurred through relationships that you experienced in childhood, where you created an anxious attachment system. Sometimes it's a reaction to relationship trauma, meaning um, trauma that as you're trying to attach in a romantic relationship, something was disrupted. That could be traumatic experiences that happened in teenage years or college years or really at any point. Um, Potentially it's a broken engagement or a you know, one that got away type of experience, a divorce. Um, And obviously, situations that you 
find yourself in where you don't have the control over your choices. All of those could create uh, anxiety and create what's called relationship anxiety because the anxiety then turns into the fear of being with someone else. Um, there's some things that, that we can work on and identify in understanding what this anxiety is doing as we're working on connecting with someone. In Heller and Levine's book, Attached, they call these things protest behaviors. And basically that what that means is it's a behavior that you resort to when your anxiety is, is activated and you're making attempts to diminish it with these types of behaviors. Uh, this would be something like excessive attempts to reestablish contact, maybe withdrawing, keeping score, acting hostile, and threatening to leave. So again, these are behaviors. So you have this emotion inside of you, this anxiety. And so when you have this emotion, and one of the things that you're trying to do is get rid of it. I want to diminish that emotion. I want it to go away from me. I don't like it. And in order to get it away from you, you do a behavior, which is like a physical thing that you do to diminish the anxiety. So for example, with excessive attempts to reestablish contact, let's say that I'm feeling really activated because we didn't have the greatest ending conversation the night before. And so I'm going to be carrying that into the next day and feeling a little bit unsettled. And so I really want them to settle me and settle my heart, even though we're doing this work day. And so I'm going to make excessive attempts to establish that connection, maybe by texting a lot through the day or depending to have really long and intensive conversations during hours when they were supposed to be doing a presentation or something. Um, this kind of falls under this, the category of excessive because that's one of the key phrases here. It's excessive attempts. We all want to have points of connection, right? So if you've had a bad night, it'd be great the next morning or at some point in the morning time to hear, hey, last night didn't go so great. Let's for sure talk about that as soon as we see each other. And I really hope that you have a good day. Fill me in on something during your lunch break or, or something like that. So there's a little bit of reassurance that, Hey, I see you. I hear you. I do want to talk about it. I haven't forgotten. And then an, an attempt to be able to establish when you can reconvene and, and feel better. And these opportunities are really what help diminish that anxiety versus some of these other protest behaviors like, well, I'm just going to withdraw. I'm not even going to talk about it. It doesn't even there. I'm going to be very punishing and escalate that to a level where we're all uncomfortable. And I don't know that my words can be undone. So these protest behaviors are something that are rooted in this space called, I don't know. I don't know how I feel. I don't know what I want. All I know is that I don't want to be feeling anxiety anymore. So let's talk about how we can get in touch with our intuition. Your intuition is a space that lives inside of you that teaches you what you believe to be right and what you believe to be wrong for you. This is formulated through your own emotions and thoughts coming together and guiding you towards what you believe is the purpose of your life and also what drives you to move forward and to thrive in your life. 
we listen to that voice sometimes after the fact by knowing "Hmm, that did not feel right for me. And sometimes that voice is diminished over time because we live in a space where we don't frequently check in with ourselves to know what it, it is that we want. Let's look at a really kind of silly example, but I think maybe a little bit more of a mainstream example. If you've ever seen the movie Runaway Bride, it's about Julia Roberts' character and how she has been engaged three different times and left somebody literally at the altar and run away in her wedding dress. The premise is that this reporter comes and he hears this offhand story and he writes about it. And so Julia Roberts, uh, I don't remember her name in the movie, but her character sues the journalist. So the journalist, Richard Gere, goes to the small town and does his own investigation to determine whether or not she does in fact um, run and that his article was accurate so that he can get his job back. So of course, because it's a romantic comedy, as they're getting to know each other, they build feelings of love and he starts to really see and understand what is happening with her. And what's happened with her is that she has stopped listening to her, her intuition And she has decided that if her partner likes something, that that means that you can be, you know, amenable and that you can look at compromise and you can be interested in that thing too. Now in the movie, to illustrate the point, her partners tend to be very firm into one specific area. For example, there was a a guy they called the bug guy meaning he really enjoyed looking at insects and studying organisms and things like that. And so she became interested in that. And there's something to be said for looking into hobbies and interests that your partner has and learning how you feel about that. But that's the secondary part right here is learning how you feel about that and not liking it just because they do. I think it's perfectly appropriate to tell them parts of it that you enjoy and parts of them things that you don't. And if you're going to be doing some of those things together to figure out a way to compromise so that both of you are enjoying the experience. So towards the end of the movie, one of the things that she does is she's trying to figure out what type of eggs does she like? And she learns that she likes a particular type of eggs. And this becomes relevant because she used to decide what type of egg she liked based on whatever the man she was with. She would say, oh, I like that one too. And that is something that if you find yourself doing and then struggling with, is this the right person for me? The real question needs to be is, am I showing myself to my partner? Am I allowing them to see who I really am? What's my favorite color? What's my favorite kind of ice cream? Do I even like ice cream? Um, What are the type and style of clothes that I like? What are the type of places I like to live, cars I like to drive, things like this? Are we trying to match what they like so that we can maintain the interest in each other and we don't want to, quote, rock the boat? Are we doing something like this so that we can maintain the fact that we really want them to like us? If that's the case, we're not doing ourselves a favor because It's in the discovery of who each other is at our core 
that we truly find the attachment and the connection. And it's also the space where anxiety will move away because you'll know, yeah, we, we seem like a good fit together. And if we're not a good fit in some places, maybe we disagree or we argue, but the relief that we find is so valuable that we want to work together and it gives us the feeling like, Hey, we could really make this happen. So it's in showing up and being your authentic self um, and building an opportunity to be yourself while compromising that lets that intuition answer the question of, is this anxiety or is this the wrong person to be with? Now let's explore this more in terms of what it looks like in dating. So we've talked a lot about what it looks like in a relationship when you're with someone and you're um, trying to discover if this is a good fit for you. But how does it work in dating when you are in the first parts of dating and you're just trying to figure out how to show up as yourself and to keep getting back up and trying again when a potential relationship doesn't ever come to fruition, that can cause a great deal of anxiety. And I'm going to share some of my stories with you. Let's be real. Dating just causes a lot of stress. There's a million questions and we really want it to be successful. We really want a very first impression to go quite well. So I want to break that part down first. Why is it that we put so much pressure on that first date? My experience has been this. Whenever you talk to a couple that's been married for a little while and you go, how did you meet? Tell me a little bit about how you met. They are so adorable and they just tell this cute anecdotal story about how they saw each other. Like it was just the easiest thing. And I just knew like so fast that he was the one for me or I saw her and I knew I wanted to marry her. And so then I married her and it just sounds so straightforward. And you know what? Maybe it was. If you look back, a lot of times people were marrying people that lived quite close to them geographically. Uh, there wasn't a lot of opportunities to go out and meet people from long distances unless perhaps you moved away from home and you went to college somewhere or you traveled abroad you were meeting people pretty close to your geographic area and now it's 2020 and you can swipe left and right while you're sitting at home on your couch for people that live internationally so you have more options and that can be terrifying dating anxiety really just looks a lot like overthinking have you ever been that person that sends the text, but you've kind of had it previewed by like four or five different people first? Like, is this the right text? Is this the right length? Should I say it this way? Should I say it that way? What is she going to think? What is he going to think? Right? Uh, overthinking. And then it's maybe, okay, well, he sent this text at 1042 AM. And so I am going to wait until this 1142 AM. So it doesn't look like I'm like super eager. Or like, I can't text her right away. I mean, I just barely got her number. So I have to wait like 24 hours before I ask her out. Like there has to be some rules. Like we have all these kind of made up rules. And then you go out and there's like a thousand books, maybe more than that, on relationships. The do's and don'ts, the how-tos, the tips for what to do and how to navigate the whole thing. So many tips and so many things that I think we really lose our sense of self we lose the opportunity to behave how we would naturally behave because we're so busy worrying about the rules. 
what should I say? What should I not say? You don't want to say something that's going to hurt another person's feelings. I appreciate that you're looking for feedback, but there's also a time when you just have to be real and you have to find out if this person can handle you and you have to figure out if you can handle them. So there's a little bit of that authenticity that can be missing when we try to script and stage things so much. We just lose our, our sense of self because we kind of get caught up in this space like, please, please, someone like me. We love to feel loved. It's one of our basic human needs, that need for connection. And so we, we just chameleonize ourselves to find that love sometimes. Sometimes it shows up in the process of dating, like not letting a relationship ever launch. Maybe you can get to the third date, but after that, it's just not going to launch. Uh, sometimes it manifests like you're not even going to get to the date. Um, you're going to like scope her out. You're going to talk to her for weeks at a time, months at a time. And you're just going to just like find out if you want to go on a date with her because in your mind, somehow going on a date means that you would get married or that it would be very serious. It's a declaration of interest. And that's just terrifying when you do these things. What happens to you is that you, the dating process just becomes hell. You struggle, struggle, struggle. Uh, there's a lot of emotional ups and downs. And then people are starting to prod, maybe, maybe like well-intentioned family members or friends. They're getting, you're getting things like you're just too picky. Or if you wouldn't be so focused on your career, or I guess maybe you don't actually want to get married, do you? And these things sting and they hurt and they make you distance yourself from your family and friends. Holidays, birthdays, things coming up are painful. They're like literally painful. I remember going to family events um, and really feeling like I had to put on a show. Like, I'm fine. It's okay. I'm not hurting. It's fine. No big deal. I'm going to be okay. When in really, in reality, I kind of wanted to be like, someone help me. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm really stressed out about this. Am I doing it wrong? Why is everybody else getting this? Is there some rule I'm missing? And I had all these questions and concerns about what this was going to do for the rest of my life. Is this how it's always going to be? I'm going to tell you a little story about dating anxiety and me. Okay. It's about to get like super vulnerable all up in here. So if you can't handle this, like avert your, your eyes away from your listening device. <laughs> okay. So this was a second date. I had been set up by a good friend and the second date was taking place far between the first date, which got me overthinking. Like I was really stressed out. I was really worried about it. Um, this was in the days before I had LASIK eye surgery and there had been some kind of phenomenon where I needed to wear my glasses. Either I hadn't gotten my prescription refilled. I had something or another. Anyway, I had to wear my glasses and in my head, I had convinced myself that wearing glasses made me undesirable, that I, I apparently turned into some kind of like, do not come near me and you will not like me. And this is, this is all made up in my head, obviously. Right. So we're supposed to meet in, um, my date's town for this day. He came to see me for the first, so I was meeting in his area for the second one. And I was, I was overthinking. I was stressed out. I was measuring the space between texts. I was measuring 
what we were talking about. I was measuring everything. I had tried on several outfits. I was super early because I was so worried about being late. I, I used the phone a friend method. I remember pulling over to a gas station and I called my friend and I was like, I'm literally freaking out right now. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to calm myself down. And thankfully she taught me a skill that is used in dialectic behavioral therapy called the temperature check. She said, are you hot or cold? And I said, I am so hot right now. It was summer, but I was way beyond hot. And for me, when my anxiety starts escalating, I get hot. So she said, I want you to go into the gas station. I want you to get a cold drink. I want you to make sure it has a lot of ice in it. And then I want you to just sip it, get your air conditioning on, get your windows unrolled, cool yourself down. And she said, and for heaven's sakes, please wear your glasses on the date. Cause I told her like this, you're not happening. Well, luckily I cooled myself down. I got to where we were having dinner. I don't really remember much about where it was other than it was like a nice place to be. And I I walked in without my glasses on and you guys like I was pretty blind I mean not blind as a bat blind but like if he's sitting across from me at the table I I couldn't fully meet the features of his face with my with my eyes like I wouldn't have known if he was interested in the story I was telling or if he was bored like I would have had absolutely no idea and that is in fact what happened so you can imagine that the date wasn't really going super well because I don't know if we're connecting. I don't know if I'm saying something that is something we have in common. Like it just continued to spiral and I just kept holding my water cup and just being like sipping on it and sipping on it. And I had my glasses sitting next to me on the table and he had gotten up at some point and to use the bathroom or whatever he did. And I put my glasses on and I finally looked him in the eye and he literally didn't even notice the difference. <laughs> and God bless good men out there who like don't aren't observant when you cut your hair and what you're wearing. They don't care because they just think you're cute, right? So the date carried on from there and we went to an art exhibit or something and I truly, truly enjoyed the art exhibit. I was totally feeling it, but it was pretty clear that we were not a good fit together. And, you know, that's fine. We we went our separate ways. But I think that I would have probably known that a little bit sooner in the day and then just been able to kind of transition this into like, let's just enjoy time together person to person versus trying to try each other on for this romantic fit. I would have figured that out a little bit sooner. Yeah. So there's my story. Wear your glasses on your date. Don't, don't be afraid. You look great in your glasses. And if not, get LASIK. Because that was actually, that was a really good thing. Here's my, there's my ad for LASIK. Let's talk about common questions that I get when it comes to dating anxiety. Probably the number one question I get is, is this going to happen to me all the time? Like, do I just have this? And this is how it's going to be with every date, with every person that I go out with. The answer is no, because honestly it happens person to person. Sometimes you're going to feel a really, really strong attraction and you're going to feel this intense desire for someone to like you. So your anxiety is off the charts. You can't talk to them. You can't interact with them. You're sweating every time you like think about them. And then there's other times when someone likes you and you're not really that invested. And so you don't put a lot of effort into it. And your anxiety is like, it sh you should register a little bit of care and concern because this is another human being. Be nice to them, you know, but that's the, the reality of it. It's just going to kind of come person to person. Having said that, you probably have a baseline 
Now, people that have dating anxiety most of the time have a predisposition to anxiety in general, whether that's a genetic predisposition because you have something in your family line and that's just kind of how you're hardwired, or maybe you've gone through some traumatic situations. In my case, I had a little bit of both. I have a genetic predisposition for anxiety, but then I also had some traumatic dating experiences. I had a really good upbringing, like solid, super good parents, like really good examples of healthy, stable relationships. But then in my 20s, I just had a lot of ups and downs, really big highs and lows. And the way that I perceived them and the way that I thought about them and the way I experienced them, that was all traumatic for me. Meaning I could have these experiences and share them with you and you could be like, seriously, girl, get it together. But to me, it was traumatic. My experience of those events and the way I perceived them, the way it gelled in my brain, it was traumatic for me. And it prevented me from being able to do some of the secure attachment that is necessary in a healthy relationship. Now, I just dropped a word called secure, secure attachment, right? What is that? It's awesome. We're going to have another whole episode talking about secure attachment and really what anxious and avoidant attachment systems look like. But for now, just put a little pin in that and we'll come back to it. So again, questions I'm getting, am I going to have this all the time? No. Is it going to be with every relationship every time I date somebody? No. Why do I have this? You might be hardwired that way. You might have a little bit of anxiety that then really peaks itself when it comes to dating. And you also could have trauma. Let's talk a little bit about if it's, if it's like a clinical diagnosis of anxiety and or trauma, you're going to want to get some help for that. Trauma can happen in a way that rewires your brain. And so you're going to have reactions to things that are not matching the situation. So for example, if you were to have had some kind of traumatic situation happen, and I'm going to be very general about this and not trying to minimize it, but let's say the water spills on the table and you recall an incident where the water spilled on the table and your date broke up with you and they never wanted to see you again. So the next time you're out on a date and the water spills, you're like, oh my gosh, we're going to break up. And you start freaking out and panicking, right? It doesn't match the situation. Spilling water on a table, not that big a deal, right? Happens to everybody. But your reaction to it and your conditioning to it is what creates the problem. Sometimes we could be in a relationship for a really long period of time, be it a romantic relationship where you're just dating, or let's say that you were married before. And you had a dynamic that existed in that relationship that really wasn't healthy for the one of you. You're trying to work it out. Maybe you did counseling um, for whatever reason, but it didn't work. And so you've been a little bit conditioned inside of that relationship to react and respond that way. So then you're out, you're trying to move into different partnerships and you're responding to these new partners the same way that you did before in a relationship that ended in divorce. So you're going to want to work through some of that. Trauma can also happen um, through violence, um, abuse types of situations, uh, maybe that you've just experienced something that was outside of your normal, um, being like a location that you lived in or an experience that you had while you were at an event or, or traveling where you just didn't feel safe. And so meeting new people can be really traumatic and hard and scary for you, whatever it might be when you identify that you're trying to move towards something in your life and you want to have a healthy relationship, but your body's giving you this physiological response that isn't allowing you to move forward. You need to get help. That's the one it's really important for you to speak with a professional and that professional can be 
anything in the wellness spectrum. Obviously, I'm biased. I like therapists because hello, I am one. But really, there's so many helping professions in the wellness spectrum. Talk to somebody. Talk to somebody who cares and help them sort through what's going on in your head and in your heart and see how what you need to do to progress and to feel better. I think therapy is really good to start with just an assessment. Like go in, talk to a professional, a mental health professional, and just tell them what's going on and see what they recommend. They may say, you need one session once a month, and I think you're going to be on the right track, or here's a couple of tips and tricks. Oh, you're good to go. Or you know what? You need to come in weekly or come in bi-weekly for a little while. And they can really help lift you. Most of the time, people suffer and suffer and suffer. And the criteria that we use when we're thinking about, like, does someone need help or not? We're looking at frequency and duration, and we're looking how much it interferes with their life. What's that next goal that you want to get to? A lot of my clients come in and they're amazing working professionals, kicking ass in life and just really enjoying a lot of good relationships with friends and family, but their romantic relationships suck. They're struggling super, super hard and they come in because they want to get to that next level. And that's why that's what I do. That's what I um, really strive to, to help with. So Let's take a break again, and then I'm going to tell you another fun story, because I like vulnerability. (laughs) Okay, we're back for round two of vulnerability with Lonnie. Okay, so here's the story. I'm in my late 20s, and I had figured it out. I had figured out what I needed to do to flirt, which, can you believe it took me to my late 20s? (laughs) And just, oh... Uh, I had figured out how to flirt. I'd figured out what it, how to like hook the guy and reel him in. Okay. And I don't mean that in like a manipulative sense. Although I think some people, men and women do this to catch a partner in a manipulative way. I will say it. I wasn't trying to be bean, but I'd figured out how to do it. I learned what this guy liked. I learned where he, um, was like spending his time, his interests, hobbies, He started coming around my people. I was around his people. Our people integrated and I flirted it up and he, he was super interested in me. I learned what his likes and dislikes were. And that's what we talked about. I learned what he liked to do for fun. I learned where he liked to eat. And anytime he was mentioning things, oh my gosh, I liked that too. Oh my gosh, how amazing. Like, wow, blah, 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 blah. So we started this beautiful summer, summer romance. Ah, summer love, right? summer love. And it was really fun. And I had a really good time other than I kept waiting for that, like, okay, and then I'm going to really let him get to know me because he didn't really get into my thoughts. I mean, he'd asked me things. It wasn't like his lack of effort. It was the fact that I just learned how to kind of chameleonize myself into what he liked and didn't like. And the things that were more about me, like my career goals or my passions and hobbies and interests and arts and crafts, things like that. I just minimized. I thought, oh, he's not gonna be that interested in that. So I can tell him about it, but I'm not gonna spend a lot of time talking about it. Well, towards the end of the summer, um, I was really concerned that we hadn't had a DTR. And if you don't know what a DTR is, it's called determining the relationship. I was concerned we hadn't had that. I called for some advice and the advice I was given was, you don't need to have one. He's your boyfriend. It's fine. Just move forward. So that's what I did. And it blew up in my face, like really hardcore. 
He didn't talk to me. He literally ghosted me for weeks. And then when he did reappear, he said, I just want to cool things down, but I'll st I still want to see you. And I was like, okay. And then it was just total ghosting for months and months and months and months. And it was literally so painful for me. So painful for me because I did not understand why. I thought, I'm the perfect girl for him. Why doesn't he want to be with me? And it wasn't until I realized that in order for attachment to happen, you actually have to be yourself. You have to bring who you are into the relationship. And if there's friction there and you disagree on the place that you're going to eat or you disagree about the state of politics or whatever it might be, in order to find out if you're truly a good fit, you have to bring that into the relationship. He had no idea who I was. No wonder he didn't want to be with someone who was exactly what he, he, what he said he wanted, so to speak, or like who he was, who he was, because that, that's boring. I mean, you don't want to be with a clone. That's why you're in a relationship so that you can have someone to enhance your life, not just mirror it, you know? So good lesson learned there. And I'm glad that we are not together. Bless, bless his heart. Bless my heart. Like we are not a good fit and it actually ended well later in life. Um, and we were able to send each other off well, I think into the world. And I still am embarrassed about my behavior, but you know, I think that is all part of life. So there you go. Dating anxiety, cloning yourself into being someone that they like. Please don't do that. Let's talk about what to do about dating anxiety if you have it. Maybe you're going to do your wellness check. You're going to see your counselor. You're going to see your, your doctor, your, your chiropractor, your, you know, healer, whatever you might be going to see. You're going to see them. Let's talk a little bit about what you can do today in the here and now. So I want you to rate your scale or excuse me, I want you to rate your anxiety on a scale from zero to 10, zero being the absence of it, 10 being like the highest, I'm in a panic, I want to be in the hospital. Okay. And I want you to kind of see what your baseline is. Are you under five? Are you under three? Do you stand pretty steady at a six? And then I want you to imagine where your next or what, what your last dating experience was like. And if it wasn't an actual date, like maybe when you crushed on someone or how it was for you when you felt that rush of emotions that is attraction and see what it did to you. I want you to notice your behavior at that. Did that anxiety associate with the behavior? Did you start getting anxious to the point that you behaved avoidant? You're like, I'm just going to totally get out of the situation. I'm not going to go to that event or activity. I'm going to cancel the date. If that's the case, then I want you to do some techniques to talk yourself down and to get yourself down the scale. You observe and notice where you're at, and then you make some changes and intervention to get yourself down. If you can't do getting yourself down or kind of bringing your anxiety down on your own, that is absolutely the case that you need to go see somebody and you need to do some work, okay? So do the things that I had done on that date, even though it didn't go great at first. Try the hot and cold technique. I think it's a really good one. Figure out if you're hot or cold while you're on the date. That's pretty easy to do. If you're cold, get a wrap get um, some hot food, order something that's warm, and get yourself introduced into something that's warm. If you notice that maybe you're getting triggered by the sounds, it's super noisy. Can I just talk side story? Like, don't go on a date to Jamba Juice. You're, <laughs> I had someone say this, and I just could not agree more. How can you attach and be your authentic self with those blenders going on? Like, I love a good Jamba Juice, but that that is not going to be... <laughs> 
that's not going to be the place where you're going to have some good attachment, right? And yeah, so side story, hot or cold, think of that. Like think of how you can get that uh, going. If in the middle of a conversation, you find yourself being unsure and you don't want to sound stupid, feel okay pausing and saying, you know what, let me think about that for a minute. Also volley back and forth. Don't incessantly ask questions. Let them ask you questions and take a space if they are not asking you questions to answer your own question, because that is a way for you to introduce yourself into the conversation, which is an important thing to do. Try those things. See if they work. If you got some more ideas, do some more. There is a vast amount of information out there. I want you to feel comfortable kind of owning this part of your story. If dating anxiety is something that you suffer with, give it a a hug. It's kind of what I say. Give it a hug. Notice it. It's there. Don't try to hide it. Don't try to ignore it, but give it a hug and learn how to deal with it. Learn how to like work through it and notice what it's doing to make your relationships not progress. You could be putting people through the ringer again and again and again. And in your head, just being like, well, no one likes me. I'm just too ugly. When in reality, their experience in dating you is that you're just a super closed book and they cannot open it. And so they feel stupid themselves. And so they don't move forward with the relationship. I mean, I don't know. I'm speculating, but dating anxiety is a real thing. And it's something that you need to take responsibility for and get help for if you want to go to the next level. Again, keep this in mind. If you are happy being single, dude, live it up. Enjoy your life. Have some good times. But if you're ready to wrap it up and move on to the next phase, and this is getting in the way, notice it and get help. Don't just keep doing the same thing over and over again. You'll keep getting the same results. And don't attribute this to I'm not good enough, pretty enough, smart enough, or I'm too smart. I'm too this. I'm too enough, too much for someone. There, my mother, she, man, she is great. She passed a couple of years ago. And one of the best pieces of advice that she would ever give me in my life is that she would say this phrase. She would say, there is a yak for every yo. If you know those animals, they are truly unattractive, but it is true. There is a yak for every yo. And I'm not saying this lightly. There is someone for everyone and you can be happy. And it's not about being the prettiest or the smartest. It's about having the right, the right, view of yourself, knowing what you have to offer and not being afraid of it and working through your crap so that you can actually get onto that next space and be happy. Okay. I'm going to give you my favorite book to read about dating anxiety and anxiety in general. It is called Attached. It is by Heller and Levine and you can get it on Audible. Again, it's called Attached. It's by Heller and Levine. You can get it on Audible. I do recommend that you buy the book in person. In person, <laughs> you buy the book. You can get it on Amazon, wherever. But you buy the book if you want to kind of have the lists and the reference guide for it, because I think it's really helpful to go back and forth and read. There's also an attachment quiz inside of it that you can read and figure out what your attachment style is, which is important. So that's my recommendation. Something that you can do now. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on dating anxiety. Please feel free to share it with a loved one. 
or an old flame <laughs> that you feel like has a, how awkward would that be? Here, listen to this episode because I totally feel like you have this. Maybe just post it on your social media. Then they, then they will get it, right? Isn't that so true how we want to help other people after we've dated them and we just spend so much time being like, I know you're not the one for me, but now that I know you, I know how to fix you. Please don't do that. Send them into the world of light and love and uh, let other people help heal them. I look forward to meeting with you again and giving you some more information about building a successful relationship. Have a good day. Thank you so much for listening to the Dating Counselor podcast, where I help you build a successful relationship. It would mean so much to me if you could rate, review, and subscribe to my podcast so that we can change the way dating is happening and everybody can have a successful experience. If you do, please send me a screenshot. I would love to see your review and share it on my social media. Thanks so much for listening. Have a good one. Peace and blessings. So what does it take to create a successful relationship? Well, that is the question that I am out to answer in teaching you my new class, The Relationship Screening Method. Go over to thedatingcounselor.com, click under courses, and learn more about this new course that I'm offering on a virtual platform that also comes with weekly live coaching sessions with yours truly. So that's again, go to thedatingcounselor.com, look under courses and look up the relationship screening method so that you can actually apply the method to then begin creating your successful relationship. This podcast and the social media associated with it represents the opinions of Lonnie K. Harmon, LCSW, and her guests to the show. The content here is intended to be psychoeducational and should not be taken as specific mental health advice. The content here is for informational and educational purposes only, and because each person is so unique, please consult your mental health professional for any mental health questions. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and social media are her own and that of her guests to the show. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections of errors. Privacy is of, is of utmost importance to us. All people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect client confidentiality. This podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a therapist-client relationship. If you find any errors in any of the content of this podcast, please send a message to Lonnie at Lonnie at MillCreek-Counseling.com. That's Lonnie, L-O-N-I, at MillCreek-Counseling.com.